Welcome to the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. This week for the first episode of 2020, I wanted to do a quick recap of 2019 and do a best of episode. I really uh, can't even describe what this content library means to me, how many inspiring quotes and just messages I've received on the podcast. So I wanted to just put together some of my favorite moments I had. I obviously couldn't put together everything some of the files I don't even have on my computer anymore, but I just pulled some of the most inspiring things to me, some of the coolest, funniest moments that I've had. I'm so grateful for every single person who's come on the podcast. I'm grateful for everyone who is going to come on the podcast in 2020 and keep this thing rolling. So I will just do a brief introduction before each clip and just say... um, what was said in just a little brief intro, but I don't wanna make this podcast too long, so I'm just gonna keep each clip in there, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. So up first, we have CJ Appenzeller's story about how he got started in strength and conditioning and how the whole process started with him basically breaking the law, so here's CJ. Yeah, so you started the gym at 19, is that correct? That is correct, yeah, so, Initially, the whole, the story goes like this, which everybody loves. Um, listen, kids, you know, don't do breaking and entering. But uh, so the whole story started with a B and E. So essentially, a buddy of mine said, "Hey, man, I'd like you to train uh, myself and, and my other buddy." And I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm down. Like, let's do it." I was like, "Where do you guys want me to train you?" He's like, "Oh, I know this spot. It's a batting cage. We get in there, no problem." He's like, "Meet me there at like noon or something like that." It was during the day. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. I'll meet you there. So I get there, I roll up. I'm like, yo, you got a key for this place? Like, what's the code to get into the door? He's like, nah, man, no key. <laughs> He's like, it's like, but I got a way in. I'm like, what? So we break into this batting cage, right? They have like little stuff, odds and ends. I think they had like some dumbbells, which we still have actually up top. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had some like dumbbells, like 10s, 15s. Then there was like no 20s, like and 30s, and then like 50s. I was like, all right, we're up. They had some like light kettlebells. Uh, I think they had a 35-pound kettlebell and a 50-pound kettlebell. It's probably the heaviest thing they had. And the reason I specifically remember the kettlebells is because now I'm coaching these guys. I got them working on kettlebell swings, and the lights in the office turn on. We're kind of in the back and in, in the uh, batting cage area, and out comes this guy who's the owner of the batting cage, who for whatever reason decided to leave his his other job early, his office job early, and, and swing by today. And, uh, you know, I have this moment of panic, like, what do I do? You know, do I run? Like, do I drop it? Because these guys, I don't think they're running. I don't know what we're going to do. So I just said, hey, I'm just going to keep coaching. So I was coaching, coaching. This guy's kind of stopped looking at me, staring at me. And I'm, like, not paying him any attention. I'm just giving all of my energy, all of my attention to my guys that I'm working with. And uh, eventually he's like, hey, you know, what are you doing here? And I'm like, man, I'm coaching. (laughs) Like, this is what I do, you know. And he's like, awesome. He's like, how would you like a job? And I was like, well, you know, it sounds better than a breaking and entering charge. So uh, I would love to interview for a job. He's like, cool, be here Tuesday. And I think he said be there at like 7. And I remember specifically that, that Tuesday I got there at like 6.30, like a half hour early, like mm-hmm. dressed for an interview. And yeah. he's like, what are you doing? You're late. Get on the floor. These guys are waiting for you. So I walk out to a team of 13-year-old baseball players, and they're like, hey, and he's like, hey, man, train these guys. They're ready. No equipment, no nothing. So yeah. that's how I got started with it. You that's know? awesome. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's such a cool story. Yeah, so that's the story. That's how it went. Um, dude, it was, it was crazy. And I remember, like, being in, in like, uh, nice khakis and stuff like that for the interview and just being like, all right, like, let's do it. You know, let's tear it up. Dude gave those guys a crazy workout with tons of energy. And all the parents were coming up to me after, like, touching me, shaking my hand, doing all this weird stuff. I was like, awesome. They were like, that was so cool. I'm like, cool, man. It was good for me, too. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> don't. 
press charges? Like, <laughs> did I get the job? Like, how's this gonna all go? So, uh, but that's how it got rocking, man. That's awesome. Up next, we have Ms. Bahawk on creativity and just how the whole process works. So I think this is a really cool one. Here is Ms. Bah. A lot of us make, and how many times have you heard this, right? It's like, oh, I'm not creative. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not a creative person. Like, I, I, just, I don't believe in that. Um, I'm more of the mind that, like, creativity is a skill and it's a muscle. And it's just like going in and training in the gym, right? It's like um, if you put in reps and you train a certain pattern, you train a certain energy system, you do a certain exercise, you're going to develop some, you're going you're gonna to get stronger, right? You're going to develop a, more of a capacity. And so I look at creativity the same way, and I don't ever limit it to just a specific art form. It's like we're creating all day, you know, yeah. from the emails that you write to how you speak with people to, uh, you know, making food like you literally are creating all day every day it's just kind of tied to use that muscle i think Mm -hmm. yeah that's an interesting point i've never heard it um heard it brought up that way and especially in our world you kind of you go through all that um hi how are you and it's good how are you and you never a lot of people never get these stimulating conversations like this so i think this this podcast for me has been um, a really powerful tool because I feel energized every single time I do an episode. It's like a one-on-one coaching session with somebody Mm -hmm. else. Up next, we have Nate Serwinski on consistency and how he preps for competition. You open up super heavy. um, You're going to, you're not as confident. You know what I mean? Like you have that little like voice in your head when you open up lighter you're you're just like ready to attack it so um it's just basically higher chance of making lifts and that's something joe really pushes is um consistency because like what something he always tells me all the time is like consistency builds champions like even in training um the goal is to never miss like Mm -hmm. no matter how heavy it is no matter like if it's a light day or you always want to be making your lifts and because that really translates over into the competition prepared well and you're confident for this and you're like ready for it yeah now let's shoot it over to dan lawrence on how the process of writing a song works i'm assuming most of my listeners have never written a song so i think this is cool insight it's like can you walk us through how going from writing it down to actually getting it recorded and putting it on Apple Music, putting it on Spotify, everything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so, yeah, usually this is a kind of a cliche thing that songwriters say, um, but it's true, so that's why they all say it. Just with, with writing a song, it doesn't really ever happen the same way twice. Um, it's, it's always a little different, but I'd say Louisiana Looking Back is a good example. Um, in some ways, it kind of starts with the idea. Pretty much, you know, sometimes you just pick up a guitar and start singing gibberish until something comes out. That doesn't usually work for me. I, I usually have to have a clear-cut idea or what the, you know, what people call a hook. You know, Louisiana looking back is the hook of the song, the title mm-hmm. in this case. Although I didn't have the title at the outset, I just knew I wanted it to be a reflection on my time in New Orleans and kind of um 
through the lens of a relationship, talking about an experience I had uh, dating a girl down there, but also just I wanted to capture what it was like living there because there's all these songs about Mardi Gras and, and Bourbon Street and they're they're good songs, but they're kind of about more of like a touristy look at what yeah. Louisiana and New Orleans are like. Um, so I, I basically wanted to, to try to weave in some some more unique imagery. But so I had this idea. I knew I wanted to write about this girl, but also kind of celebrate or, or reflect on my time in New Orleans at the same time. Um, so from there, I think I wrote some lyrics, probably the first verse, without any music at all. That's kind of common for me. I'll do that. And then try to find the chords that match the mood of the song and, and start singing around that and, and trying different melodies with a few of the lines I've written. Here's Paige Henry talking about how she got started in CrossFit over 10 years ago. It's amazing to look back and think she's been doing this thing for 10 years. To try a workout, and I don't remember what we did, but I just remember leaving, never feeling like that before, and it was like I fell in love instantly. I like signed up right away. I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to afford this, but I'm going to make it work. <laughs> so how long ago was this? It was 10 years ago. Oh, wow. So you're like... Not OG, but like <laughs> you were in it before. Like, was the games on TV or anything? Did you see that before? I think it started that year. I can't remember because I didn't know there was like a competition that went along with this. Like, I thought it was just like working out. And then I think a couple months into doing CrossFit, I like maybe heard someone say they were doing a competition. And I was like, you compete working out? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> So I don't remember if the games were even a thing then or not. Okay. So how um, how has training changed since you first started? It definitely changed a lot from, I mean, just hitting the class workout. And, like, the actual time you're working out in a CrossFit workout isn't, like, a full hour. Like, the class will be an hour. But, I mean, some of the workouts are, like, ten minutes. Not to say it's easy, but you're definitely working hard for the 10 minutes but it's only 10 minutes so it kind of went from doing just one class workout a day to maybe like a year probably two years down the road I started getting a little bit more into it where like I would go to class and then work on pull-ups or something like that kind of build add another workout or so and then I guess once I was doing it for about five years Yeah, I ended up becoming single and was like, I'm just going to do CrossFit. Like, because it was like the first weekend I had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So I started just going to my gym at night and then I started just going to my gym all day. And then before I knew it, I was just living basically at my gym and just working out all day long. Here's Shannon Phillips on the biggest mistake you can make as a strength coach and what she would do to get around it. Is strength and conditioning not a field they should pursue or how can they? get around that. Yeah. So I think that you have to go where, where you feel like you can be successful. I mean, I definitely know people who have taken internships in places where they have family that lives there and they can live with family or friends. Um, you really just have to figure out what's feasible for you. I think that the worst, the worst move that you could make is committing to an internship that's not paid and then having to step away from it. Um, especially if you know, on the front end, it's not going to be um, it's not going to be paid. Um, but there are opportunities. And I think that as 
if you're interested in the field, um, kind of being upfront with that, with, with people who you're kind of communicating with um, as far as internship um, potentials and saying like, hey, you know, um, I'm really, I, I'm really interested in this. I want to commit to it, but you know, the financial side and more times than not coaches are going to understand and they're going to say, Hey, you know what, why don't you get a part-time job? You can work, you know, 20 hours a week or, or 15 hours a week at your part-time job. So it's at, at least a little bit of an income. Um, but other than that, I think that especially, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit biased coming from the, the Philadelphia area because there are so many schools, colleges, high schools, um, in the area. Um, but I think that it is really valuable to even to just get, um, you know, FaceTime with people, not, not literal FaceTime. I mean, you, if you wanted, but, um, you know, going to facilities and saying, Hey, you know, can I do a site visit? Can I, can I come in and observe for the day? Can I come talk shop? I think those times are very, very valuable. I know when I was interning at Temple, that was something I had to do in the summer. I had to go on site visits every week and it was something that I never would have done on my own, but I, so much from being able to see, um, I went and visited, um, a smaller division one school. Um, and I watched a football team lift and I had actually never seen a football lift before. Um, or I saw, I went to, I actually went to two, um, football lifts. I went to a private facility. I went to, um, a division three school. So there was a lot of different places that I got experience with and just learning kind of where your niche is, I think is, is really big. And so staying within what is feasible for you, but also exposing yourself to um, the, the, the many different that, that there are. Mm -hmm. Here's one of my favorites from Eastern strength coach, Ryan Saltzman on how the little things actually might be the big things. But um, uh, that was that was a barbell being left on the platform. That was that was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. So what's what's it like to implement that kind of things where athletes might think, oh, it's stupid that we got to flip every dumbbell around to make sure the eagle's up or someone left a 10 pound plate on the floor where we think, oh, that's kind of stupid that we're being punished for this. It's a little thing. But what does that mean to you? I, it, it's an attention to detail kind of thing, um, you know. The little things, I'm a big believer in a lot of my coaching philosophies, the little things add up. So mm -hmm. if we do if we do the little things right, um, I was never the star flashy player, so I had to do the little things right all the time. Yeah. Um, now, did I do them right all the time? No, and that's, you know, if I was successful, I had, but if I didn't, you know, I, I'd probably have to reevaluate. And, and, um, but I think it's something about, you know, we, we, we look at it as stewardship, right? So not, the whole campus doesn't know about that, that rule, yeah. Um, just our student athletes do. So, you know, while we're a campus-wide facility, our student athletes are in the in our fitness center probably more frequently than than a lot of our students are, um, just because of the the extra responsibility that student athletes have as far as practicing and training for games and and things like that. And um, you know, we want to kind of show show everyone on campus the way of hey, we're you know, you make your bed every morning. Right, um, you know, you're not, you're taking care of business. You're not leaving clothes out on the floor. You're not, you know, you, everything needs to look nice and nice and neat. And it's it's kind of refreshing when you walk in in the morning and everything's set up. Yeah, and everything looks good. And it's it's kind of a, I think it's an intangible feeling. Yeah, uh, that, you know, we take pride in how hard we work, and we take pride in how well we how well we pay attention to the, the little things. Mm -hmm. Here's Matt Lee on doing his first YouTube video. 
and how scary it's been and what changes he's made. What's it like when you do your first YouTube video, you put yourself out there? How does that feel like? It, it's it's pretty crazy, man. Because like you said yourself, the biggest thing I was scared about, especially with YouTube, was just looking dumb. It was just one of those things like, I don't know who was going to be watching this video. And at the time, I was like, no one's even going to care to watch. Um, just because like, who am I type of thing. But um, it was it was just, it was scary, man. Just because like, you, anytime you put yourself out on social media to kind of like reveal your world to other people, um, of course, you're going to be criticized, you're going to be judged and so forth. Um, and it's just one of those things at the time, like, yes, I was scared. I feel like anyone's going to be scared to go forth and kind of document their life and their journey um, on any type of platform. Um, but I was petrified, dude. Like, I remember the first time was I literally, A, I would never vlog in public. It was just one of those things. I either stayed in my house or I stayed in my car. Um, anytime I went to the gym, I made sure it was like super late at night so no one saw that I had a camera filming myself. Just because, like, dude, it's just like you you look weird walking around with a camera. Like, I'll be honest. It's just one of those yeah. things, like, I, I cared a lot about how people thought about me in the beginning of this all. Um, just because I was, like, I don't want to say I was embarrassed, but, like, no one else was doing this at the time. Like, around me, at least, my friend group. Um, so I was always that guy, like, walking around and, like, stopping stuff and having to record stuff over again. Um, but it was kind of when I got over that fear of being judged by others when everything really started taking off in terms of the Instagram, the YouTube and just honestly the business too mm -hmm. so and now like i see your videos now and it just looks like you have all the confidence in the world which i think is awesome yeah man it's pretty crazy dude this is one of those things like you kind of get out of your bubble and like a lot of times too like <laughs> a lot the camera like you have you have the the canon g7x mark II. yeah yeah so you know how you can flip that screen up and mm -hmm. like have it look at you so, dude, I'll never forget, like, there's times, and I'm sure this will happen to you, too, like, when you're vlogging out in public, and people are, like, looking at you, and you can see them looking at you on, like, the little screen in the back, and just <laughs> looking back at them, and, dude, this is the most awkward thing, I see people, like, looking at me, and, like, shaking their head, but it's just funny, because back in the day, like, I, like, literally two years ago, if I saw that, I would literally turn the camera off and put it away and, like, go somewhere private, but it's just one of those things, like, A, I realize I'm never going to see these people again in my life. And B, I, why should I care about the opinions of others that, you know, kind of direct me about where I'm going to go with my life? Like, mm -hmm. they're making no impact to me. They're not making any benefit to me. And why would I let their opinion of me kind of direct me about how I'm going to go about chasing my dreams? Um, so it's kind of when I got over that fear of kind of caring how people kind of approach my videos and see me doing this in public um, mm -hmm. that I kind of really started taking off with all this stuff. So. It's been pretty crazy to see. And like I, I think back all the time too, man. I literally watch my old videos all the time and I'm like, man, like literally I would never leave my car. Right? It was just <laughs> the craziest thing. I was so scared to take the camera out. But um, now that I'm doing it, kind of walking around and not really caring about it, it's just crazy like the overall joy that it kind of brings me for these videos. So Yeah. Up next, here's my mom giving some wisdom on how she let go of the fear of what other people think of her. Well, I, I used to always believe that what other people thought of me was how I defined how I felt about myself. And um, usually the people who judged me the harshest, like I always wanted to prove to them that I was enough and that I was okay. And if people who I didn't really care for, I like almost tried to suck up to them to get them to like me. and. I think I thought that if those people liked me, that I was okay. And a lot of the times, I, the people that I wanted to like me, I didn't really like them. Mm -hmm. They weren't nice people. And um, what my girlfriend said to me years ago, what other people think of me is none of my business. And it's, real, it's a mindset. It's really hard to do because I was the kind of person that 
99 people could say I was nice and one person could say I wasn't nice and I'd be focused on that one person and that's all I could dwell on and I would want to find that person and get them to think I'm nice. Yeah, to prove yourself. Like to prove myself and now, remember, I want haters. (laughs) You told me um, I wasn't good enough to have haters. So, uh, I feel like now if people don't like me, it's like a compliment. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm more okay with it. And I think the reason why I'm more okay with it is because I'm more okay with myself. Mm-hmm. Me feeling good at m- about myself is not so dependent on what other people mm-hmm. think of me. And um, it's a hard place to get to. It took me a long time. I'm 48. Mm-hmm. So it probably around 45 I think is when I honestly started to feel like I'm not worried what other people think of me not that it doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me as much Mm -hmm. next we go to Natalie Newhart on what she wished she would have changed as an athlete and how she would have been better yeah and I think like just enjoying the process right like like instead of thinking that this weight makes me happy yeah just know that like whether I hit it or not I'm happy or you know but like you it's good to have goals and intentions but I wouldn't base your happiness off that like you know um and I would just if I would do it over I would just try to have I I would honestly probably have been a better athlete if I would have just had more fun rather than so much pressure. I really, because when I have so much pressure, just like I was riding dirt bikes yesterday. And if I was so focused on the guys around me, the bikes coming up around me, I tense up. Yeah. If I'm loose and I'm feeling and I'm in the moment, I'm flowing. Right. And that's what we want to be like that tension. We don't want tension, you know? And so we want to be in that happy state The you know, um, And it's just going to be a lot more enjoyable. A lot more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. For the last clip, I'm sending it back to Nate Serwinski. I thought it was really cool what he said. We were wrapping up at this point, and he was talking about what I do that inspires him, which I think is really cool to hear. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, and I will be back with a regularly scheduled one next week. I'll talk to you guys later. You're really inspiring me because, like, you're – like consistent with everything like you you say you're gonna like do all these things and you're like keep on doing them and and you just there's no other way to like i'm noticing is to make it than just keep doing it you know what i mean yeah exactly matter what anyone says like you just have to keep going and and this this also like applies to weightlifting because i remember like years ago i didn't even qualify for like Two years ago, I didn't even qualify for the American Open. I was in like the youth session, and I was, and I was in the B session, and and I'd go to these competitions, and I'd like, it like hurt me. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you just store it up, and you just, you just train with it, and then you just work hard, and it comes. Like there's your card is gonna come. Like there's, there's no other way around it. And yeah, I really, I really see stuff paying off for you. And it's, I'm excited to watch, I'm excited to watch your podcast grow. Like you just got a thousand plays. 
I'm excited to watch your, your YouTube channel grow, and I'm ex I'm excited to see your progress and everything too. So it's, it's gonna be pretty sick.